We are doing a series on the Ten Commandments. And the title of the series is Conditions for Community because we are focusing in particular on how the Ten Commandments, as they were given the second time in the book of Deuteronomy, right as God's people are about to go into the Promised Land, they're given um, really in a context of here are these people that just can't get along. These people that, have, that are God's people, but they don't seem to, to know how to get along. And I, I know that you know, all of us are in that kind of place where we just wonder, what is, what is going to help the church really be the kind of community that God wants it to be? And, and one of the answers is to follow the way God has laid out for us his vision for humanity in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is God's vision for humanity. This is what he made us for. This is also, and this is the really exciting part, this is what he's committed to bringing about. If you think of heaven as just sort of this abstract notion where we're going to float up in a cloud someday, I want you to understand heaven will be the place or be the time that what we look forward to is when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be done on earth. The new heavens, the new earth will come down and all of this vision that God lays out for us here in the Ten Commandments will be realized. We will have communities where words are valued and used with care. We will have communities where, where people, you know, honor the, the Lord their God and worship him alone. We will have community where we honor one another. God is making us into this, this kind of community that lays out for us here. And, and so we've been going through the Ten Commandments and talking about how even now we can learn to be this countercultural community that demonstrates to the watching world that there is another way to live. That if this stuff is true, like the Ten Commandments begin with this, this whole little kind of declaration of what God has done. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery. If that's true, it changes everything. And then he lays out for us. Here's some of the things that it changes. Here, here's what it means to walk before me as my people. And so it's a good thing to talk about at RUF if you are a Christian or if you're not. If you're interested in what is Christianity? What, what do Christians really believe? This is a good place to, to look, to understand what is our vision for humanity, because Christianity has one. And we've been going through the Ten Commandments, and now we come to the Seventh Commandment. Sorry, Part 7, but it's actually the Fifth Commandment. We did a couple weeks of introductory stuff. Um, and, and, and it's not a long verse. It's Deuteronomy 5, verse 16. I put it on the outline for you. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So there, even, even very specifically, this is what you were made for. Life, life works better when you live the way I made you to live. And life will go better for you in the land when you live this way. Now this isn't an absolute promise. It's, it's kind of a, a general statement. This is the way life generally works. Uh, there are lots of examples of people in the Bible who loved God and honored God. Sometimes they were the best person in their family and still suffered. We live in a fallen world. Um, and following Jesus is not sort of this tit-for-tat kind of thing where if I love Jesus, then I can guarantee that I will have the kind of life that I want to have. No, not at all. It's one of the reasons we sing all those hymns, because I think it's a particular modern um, idea that if we just do the right things, that we can control our lives and have a you know manufacture 
a nice, smooth, easy life, and to think that God um, really wants that for us um, is, is quite, quite removed from the way Christians have understand, understood the Christian life for a lot of years. So we, we sing some of these old hymns to help us remember that people haven't always thought like us. And sometimes it's good to be reminded of the way people have thought about God in the past. Um, but here's this, this issue. We're going to come, again, I, I always say this seems like every week. We come to one of these Ten Commandments and we find we have a problem because here we're going to talk tonight about authority in an age that seems to revel in defying authority. Um, so I, I kind of made, made the introduction here. How do you talk about authority in a supposedly anti-authoritarian age? And yet the fact is, it, we, we actually are never without authority in our lives. I have a friend, um, I, I meet with a group of guys um, one morning in the week, and um, I've got to know this guy who used to work with Amazon. He was involved in kind of the startup of Amazon in the early days, and now he lives here nationally. He's involved in another internet marketing company, and he was telling me he had an opportunity to go recently up to New York and hear this lady who's kind of this marketing guru give this uh, lecture for, to a couple thousand people who are kind of in the internet you know, commerce world about the digital millennials, which is what they're calling you guys. Sometimes they call you all Generation Y, but her, her term is the digital millennials, people who are 18 to 24, which is about almost everybody in this room. Okay. And it was interesting, um, he said, you know, the, the main point that she was making, um, well, she made several points, but the one that was really interesting, she, she was gathering all this information in different ways, and one of the things she used was an online survey. And she said it was fascinating, she asked all these questions like, what do you think about this, or what do you do in this situation, or what do you believe about this, or what do you like about this? And she said over and over again, the people that would answer the questions would respond with, we like this or we do this, or we don't really like this at all. And she did some more investigation, and she found that these, these 18 to 24-year-olds, people like you, before they were answering the online survey, they were checking out with all their peers how they would answer. They didn't even want to answer by themselves without you know, getting on Facebook and kind of throwing it out there and getting feedback about it, um, IMing some of their friends or doing text messaging. And so they kept responding very naturally, like, well, we think this. Because, after all, the answers they were giving were sort of consolidated from their peers, from their friends. It's really fascinating to think about that. That's, a, that's kind of a new situation, I hope you realize. And maybe you say, well, I don't do that. But enough people did that that this lady did some more investigation and found this is a really interesting phenomenon. That there is this sense, and, th and this is what my friend was saying, the really interesting thing is, very few people want to stand up and be a leader, and that doesn't mean that there isn't authority functioning. It's the authority of the peer group without generally somebody kind of stepping up to the fore and being the leader. And, and, and so it's, it's really fascinating to think, you know, no matter how you try to get away from authority, no matter how much you want to say, we don't want to be sort of caught up into, you know, people telling us what to do, we want to be free people, we want to be free to live our own lives and think the way we want to think, always authority is functioning at some level. And God cares about that because God cares about how authority is functioning in our lives. It's very important for his vision of what human flourishing is all about. Authority is an issue that we have to look at and we have to examine how is it working in our own lives. What does this say about submission to authority among 
your generation? What does it say about submission to authority in our world right now? What are the authorities in our culture? Who has authority over you? And, and I would contend this, that the desire to be without authority is neither godly nor possible. Not only is it ungodly to desire to live with no authority whatsoever, it's not possible. G.K. Chesterton, the great English writer, said it well. He said that when you break the big laws, you don't get freedom. You don't even get anarchy. You get the little laws. Every time you break one of the big laws, every time you rebel against real authority, your life becomes filled with petty authoritarianism. Like, oh no, what will my, what will my friends think? if I do this, or I wear this, or I don't read this. It functions all the time for us. What has God designed for us for authority? And you might say, well, that's kind of strange. I thought we were going to talk about honor your parents. But I want you to understand that this command, honor your parents, honor your parents is really just the tip of the iceberg. And where this commandment comes in the, in the order, it serves as a bridge commandment. It is so the end of the how do you love God commandments and the beginning of the how do you love your neighbor commandments because it really functions in both ways. Honoring your parents is the way that you learn even to honor God. That it should be a step on the way to honoring God. And that's why over and over again when the Bible talks about honoring your parents, it roots it in the fact that God has set them up as an authority. And yet we know that often that authority is broken down. It's not what it should be. And so even as we think about, you know, God has laid out this way that we can come to understand what it means to respect and enjoy his authority, he's set up a system that, is, that has gotten really broken in so many ways. And so how can we come back to a, a place of rightly understanding authority, not just with our parents, but with all kinds of authorities in our world? Um, there is more here in this commandment than meets the eye. Like I said, it, it is through honoring our parents that we come to understand what does it mean to honor God, our true Heavenly Father. And, and one of the interesting things to think about when you think about this commandment is this is the commandment that, that God starts to say, okay, look, living as my people is not just some abstract, ethereal thing. It means living with conditions that you didn't create. It's one of the things where the rubber hits the road with honoring your mother and father. Who here chose their mother and father? Well, probably nobody. Nobody. You don't choose your parents. And one of the things that that teaches us from the very beginning of our existence is there are a lot of things in life, a lot of really important things that you don't have control over. Sorry to burst your bubble. But the sooner that you realize that, the better off you'll be. And as a matter of fact, it's actually pretty basic to what it means to be a Christian and to be in community. You know, the interesting thing is, in the Bible, community, the, the Bible says church is a community, not that we make, but that we are brought into. Now, we certainly have responsibility to nurture it, but it's not something that we create. Thus, you learn actually from the fact that we're given parents that we didn't choose, is also how we're brought into the church. We're brought into a family that we didn't choose either which is one of the reasons why it's so disjointed when we shop around for churches like we're buying a used car. Because it sort of strikes at the heart of what it means to be put into a Christian community, 
we sort of bring this consumerism into a, an arena where that's not really supposed to be what it's about. And we wonder why our church communities are not what we hoped that they would be. Because we should have learned from the very beginning that, listen, just like you don't choose your family, nor do you choose your church ultimately. You've been brought into a group of people, some of whom you probably will have difficulty getting to know. But welcome to the real world. And to live for God and to love God and to honor him means you have to actually live life in the real world. And this commandment really helps the rubber meet the road with regard to that. Honoring your mother father, for a lot of people, is the place where you say, okay, yeah, it's one thing to kind of talk about loving God, and that seems real kind of adorable. Now, this is a real practical thing, and I know if I'm doing this or if I'm not doing it. This is, this is real-life stuff right here. The commandment also, though, teaches us about all kinds of authority structures. And it's interesting, if you survey through the Bible, and I don't have time to do this tonight, but it's fascinating how many different kinds of people are called father in the Bible. The king is called father. Prophets are called father. All kinds of people are called father. The Proverbs even addresses the people who the Proverbs are spoken to as my son. And it's not actually a real father telling a real son because there are parts where he says, my son, listen to your father and listen to your mother. He's taking on the role of a father because fathers are supposed to be those who teach you the ways of the Lord. People who use, who are set by God in authority to teach you what it means to gladly submit to rightful authority. And so the idea about honoring your father and mother is much bigger than just your biological parents or your adopted parents or whatever is the situation in your family. Now, of course, like a lot of the Ten Commandments, when God wants to talk about a, a big issue, he takes one of, an example that is close to home. And for a lot of us, the issues that we have with authority in our life probably hit, hit very close to home, to, to our relationships with our parents. There's not very many people who um, struggle with authority in all these other areas of life that don't have that issue already going on with their parents. They, they, tend, to, they tend to be connected. The way you're relating to your parents spills over into the way you relate to God, in other words. Um, and, you know, I put down a little thing from the Heidelberg Catechism. I won't necessarily read that. I think um, Romans 13 is worth reading, though, and I put that at the top here. And you may say, well, where did Paul come up with this whole thing about, God, about honoring the state and the, the governmental authorities? He got it from the Ten Commandments. He didn't just make it up out of thin air. This is inherently part of what the commandment, honor your mother and father, is about, and people have always understood it that way, that rooted in that is all lawful authority. And so Paul writes this. Now notice, Paul writes this when Nero is on the throne of Rome. So Paul doesn't write this when it's easy to say, well, you know, we've got a Christian, you know, as president, and so everything's great. You should be able to submit to him. No, he writes this when Nero is on the throne. Nero is the guy who tradition says eventually put Paul himself to death. But here's what he says. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. 
he is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. It's the right thing to do. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Paul has a very, very strong view about the governing authorities, even ungodly governing authorities. He says that none of them exist unless God has established them. Now, that, that's a big view of God and his sovereignty, granted. And some of you may not be there, may not buy into that. And that's another discussion we could have sometime over a cup of coffee, if you want. But, um, but, but you see how Paul, Paul says, you know, Christians should submit to the governing authorities. It's not just honor your mother and father. It's honor all those who are in rightful authority over you, is the teaching of the scriptures. Well, what does it mean, actually, to honor to honor anybody, particularly to honor parents. And the heart of, of this idea of honor is, is a Hebrew word that means weighty. Weighty. To honor somebody means to give them, treat them as weighty. Not as light or frivolous or of no value or of no meaning or of no significance, but to treat them as weighty. And that means a lot of things. A lot of things. Um, but it means certainly that we should listen to them. We should consider um, what they have to say. It means treating them with respect. It means, the Bible says this actually in a number of places, bearing with them in their old age and their weakness and caring for them in their old age and their weakness. Um, it means things like understanding and remembering that they're finite and they're sinful. Treating them with respect. But loving our parents, honoring our parents, does not mean worshiping them. Does not mean blind submission to them in everything that they say. And that, that, you know, this is an important thing because there are, there are some, some Christians who I think say, well, because God has established the authority, therefore, and it seems like Paul's saying here that we can't rebel against the authority at all, and yet the Bible at the same time teaches there are times when you have to rebel and stand against the authorities, even, even human authorities. Jesus himself said that. He said that in Matthew chapter 10, and I put that passage up there for you as well. Listen to this. Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, those are strong words, but Jesus is laying down the gauntlet and saying, there are times, there will be situations where you will have to, to honor God means to disobey your parents, means to bring conflict even into your family. So honoring, honoring your parents does not mean worshiping. It does not mean putting them in the place that is reserved for God alone. Likewise, honoring leaders does not mean giving them the, rev the reverence that is due to God alone. There's this really interesting passage in um, one of the books of Samuel um, where David and his mighty men are not able to be in Jerusalem. They've been kind of kicked out of the city, and they're you know, camping out. You know, they're on the run, and they're camping out. And David just basically mutters, oh, if only I had 
a drink of that water from the well in Jerusalem again. He just sort of kind of utters it. And a couple of his men, his mighty men, hear about this. And they say, ah, oh, we'll do that for him. And they fight their way through the Philistines, right? They get the water. They fight their way back out. And they bring it to David. Do you remember what David does? Anybody remember the story? They hand him the water and he takes it and he pours it out. He pours it out. Because he says, the risk you took for me while it was done maybe out of love and sincerity, you gave me an honor that is due to God alone. You, you, can't, you can't put me in the place of God where my very, my very you know, breath is your command. That reverence is due to God alone, not to me. He pours it out. There is, there is a point at which sometimes giving reverence to God will conflict with what our parents want or what the authorities want. Honoring our parents does not mean um, giving them the love, obedience, and submission that is due to God alone. And of all the people that, that say this, listen to the way John Calvin says this. Calvin, you know, a lot of people think of Calvin as kind of an original guy. You would think that he would side uh, with those who like a strong view of authority and parents putting their kids in their place. But listen to what he says. He says, parents sit in that place to which they have been brought by the Lord, who shares with them a part of his honor. Therefore, the submission paid to them, the parents, ought to be, sorry, bad typo there, ought to be a step toward honoring that highest father. Hence, if you spur us to transgress the law, if they spur us to transgress the law or to sin, we have a perfect right to regard them not as parents, but as strangers who are trying to lead us from obedience to the true father. That's, that's, that's strong. But there are times when that may be an issue. See, this is one of those commandments that, that sort of raises a lot of ethical dilemmas. How do we interpret this in light of our actual situations? I'll tell you another way that we end up worshiping our parents is when we have unrealistic expectations of them. We can worship our parents by giving them reverence and submission that's due to God alone, saying that their word is law no matter what, no matter what God has said. But we can also worship them in an inappropriate way when we expect them to give us the kind of guarantees that only God can give. Or we expect them to give us the kind of perfect, loving experience that only God can give us. Parents are sinners. Your parents are sinners. So are mine, and so am I. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to like do a, do a sermon about what parents are supposed to be like when you have kids. And I'm going to talk about that actually a little bit later. But listen, to honor your parents is not to put them on a pedestal and demand that they be God for you. And unfortunately, a lot of Christian parents want to be that. I remember when I first got into RUF going to staff training, and um, Bebo Elkin, who's kind of the Yoda of RUF, um, and he does this, and he's, I don't know if you ever met Bebo. If you ever meet Bebo, you'll know what I mean. But he, um, asked Robert Creasa, they know, so they'll, they'll affirm that. But he, he said, you know, Christian parents are notoriously bad at removing the consequences from their kids' sins. Their kids do things that should bring consequences. It's part of what God has ordained, consequences to attend to this foolishness. And the parents rescue their kids from it again and again, and thus never help their kids learn what it's like to live in the real world. So even if your parents want to be God and want to refashion the world where you can get away with anything and you don't have to pay for what you've done, you can't go along with it if you would honor God. Don't let your parents do that. Don't put them on a pedestal. Don't demand that they be God for you. 
They can't, even if they want to. But we, of course, like to have our cake and eat it too, don't we? We want our parents to pay for us. We want them to remove the consequences of our sin and foolishness whenever we get in trouble. But then we want them to stay out of our lives. Right? And we bring this expectation, guys, into our relationship with God. Think about how we, you know, what does it mean for you to think of God as a perfect father? What image does that call up? Is it a guy who will deal with your sin and clean up your messes, pay your way, but leave you alone when you want to be left alone? Is that what you want? Is that what you want from your parents? Is that what you want from your heavenly father? Sometimes. I think another issue we've got to talk about tonight is there are limits to earthly authority. And I've mentioned this already. Let me talk a little bit more explicitly about this. The Christian idea of authority is that all authorities, all lesser authorities, whether it's your parents or the government or whatever it is, are in submission, are under the ultimate authority, which is God himself. And we submit to God, this is what Paul says in Romans 13, by submitting to these lesser authorities that he has set up. But all of these authorities answer to a higher authority. God will hold them responsible for what they do with the authority that he has granted to them. For instance, fathers are told they are not allowed to exasperate their children. And you can tell them that. You may need to be wise in the way you tell them that. There may be times when it's not going to get you anywhere. But the fact is, God has told them that. Fathers are not free to do whatever they want with the authority they've been given. Neither is the state. Neither are mothers. Neither are pastors. Whatever kind of authority there is on earth, it is under God's authority. And the person who's been given that authority is not free to exercise it any way they want. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loves the church. Jesus tells his disciples, don't lead like the Pharisees. They love to walk around and have people call them Lord. And they love to lord their power over people. You don't be like that. No matter how efficient it is, no matter how well it seems to be to have a church where one guy calls all the shots, don't be like that. Don't be like that. God has actually given various spheres of authority to different authorities like the church, the state, the family. They each have different areas in which they have responsibilities and all of them needing to answer to God. But listen, the state does not answer to the church. The church does not answer to the state. They all answer to God, the church, the state, and the family. They all are responsible to God. All kinds of problems happen when these various spheres of authority try to usurp the roles that God has given to other people. This is why Jesus says, render unto God what is God's. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. There are certain things that Caesar has been given authority over, but not everything. There are certain things that fathers and mothers have been given authority over, but not everything. And if, we, and if that stuff gets confused, it makes for an awful mess of things. When the church thinks that she needs to take everything underneath her authority and her power, it makes a mess. When the state tries to do it, and the state tries to do it as well, trying to usurp the role of the family sometimes, or the role of the church. God has, has laid down different roles for different authorities, and they will all have to answer to him. But there are times when 
these authorities overstepped their bounds, and we must obey God rather than men. Acts 5 is the classic example where two of the disciples are beaten and told that they must not preach the gospel. And they respond, we must obey God rather than men. Now here's, here's where it gets confusing. We would love to take that idea and say, well, you know, God told me that I'm free to drink alcohol. The Bible doesn't, have, doesn't say that I have to be 21 to drink, even if the state of Tennessee says that. That's an inappropriate use of that text. What the text says is if God commands you to do something and the state says you can't do it, well, you have to do it. But if God says you're free to do this and the state says you're not free to do it, well, then you're not free to do it. Does that make sense? If the state forbids you to do something God requires you to do, then you must obey God rather than men. But if the state limits your freedom in a way God says you're free to do this or to not do it, and the state says, well, no, you can't do it, then you obey the state. That's not that complicated, is it? But it's difficult. I'll give you another example. What about, what about your, uh, your parents, and what about who you will marry? This, this will be an issue. If it's not an issue for you now, it may be an issue in the next few years. It often is. Where, you know, parents should definitely be involved and re respected and listened to. They really do know more about this stuff than we often give them credit. But sometimes they oppose a marriage for ungodly reasons. Sometimes they have no good reasons. I've been in those kinds of situations. And what are you going to do? Do they have ultimate veto power for no good reason? Or even for reasons like this person, you know, I, I don't know, I always envisioned you being married to a doctor. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not going to say yes to anybody until you meet a nice doctor, you know, someday. I'm giving you, you know, I'm trying not to step on too many toes, so trying to, you know, hopefully your parents aren't that crazy. Um, at least not, they wouldn't say it that way. But, but you know, th these are situations. Now you've got to walk through this with tact and walk that balance between honoring but not worshiping them. There may be a point which you say, Mom, Dad, it seems to me like maybe your idols are what's driving this more than godly wisdom. I want to listen to you. I want to be respectful of you, but help me to understand where you're coming from in this because it seems to me that, and they may have a good reason maybe you didn't understand. It's worth dialoguing a little bit with them. But understand, sometimes there may be a point in which you have to say, I'm not sure I can follow your advice in this. And it's hard because you guys are in that sort of situation where, you know, you're still under your parents' authority somewhat. They're still paying for you in a lot of ways. Um, but you're also, hopefully, they're, they're giving you some freedom to begin to learn what it's like to live on your own. It's a hard situation, but understand that these two principles are what you're always trying to balance. Honor, but without worshiping your parents. And applying this, like I said, requires a lot of wisdom. A couple, couple last um, thoughts as we come to a conclusion here. Again, Jesus says, sometimes obeying him will bring you into conflict. If you think that following Jesus means everybody will like you, well, you're naive. You're hopelessly naive. Um, sometimes it will bring you to a place where you have to defy other authorities. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's the state. Maybe it's your friends and their opinions. I tell you, I, I've always found... It's really fascinating how it's sometimes more difficult for me to be distinctly Christian among my Christian friends. Remember back when I first moved to Nashville, I, you know, I moved from Boston where, you know, I always tell people, if you went at Berkeley College Music, if you saw somebody in the dining hall on Sunday morning dressed up, you knew they were a real Christian. I was just telling somebody that the other day. Whereas I, when I first came to Belmont, 
and was working with students, I met somebody who said, you know, there are people who come to the dining hall, they dress up on Sunday morning and eat breakfast, so you think they're going to church, and then they go back and go to bed, but they want to keep up the appearances. I said, wow, these are two different worlds. Tennessee and Boston are very different when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I remember, um, you know, sometimes when I got here and I'd be hanging out with my Christian friends, and sometimes they'd start talking about things that probably Christians shouldn't have been talking about. And it was so difficult for anybody in that group. Everybody was feeling like somebody should say something. We probably should stop what we're talking about. We're gossiping or, you know, we're just involved in, you know, crass stuff that we don't need to be talking about. It's so difficult sometimes to be the, be the one who's going to stand up and say, guys, I don't know if we should be talking like this. Why is that? I almost feel like sometimes it would be easier to say that in a group of friends who aren't Christians. It's like sometimes... Um, it's diff very difficult to defy the authority of your friends and their opinions. But there are times when you have to do it. And you don't do it in self-righteousness. You do it because the Lord says that there are times in which you must obey God rather than men. And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want that to be sort of on your radar. So I think for a lot of us, the idea that I would defy my friends or defy my family, it's not even sort of on the radar as a possibility, but it, it needs to be. It needs to be. But, but then, let me just say, as quick as I say that, when we go back to parents, have compassion on your parents. Have compassion on your parents. Uh, most parents I know are very well aware of how bad they are at parenting. They feel like failures most of the time. They're, they're so easily shamed into doing most anything, buying tons of books that they think will give them the quick fix solution, um, you know, to, to how to fix their kids and how to make up for all the crap that they put their kids through. It's very difficult. And your, your parents could really use some encouragement. I don't know, do, do you ever encourage your parents and say, you know, you did a really good job. You didn't do a perfect job, you know, but you did a good job in this. And I really appreciate it about you. I had a friend of mine, I think I was about your age, challenged me, you know, maybe you should write a letter to your parents and tell them some of the things you appreciate about them and what they've done for you. I think that was a good idea. It was helpful for me. It was hard for me uh, to talk in person to my parents about that kind of stuff, but the letter was, was good and sort of opened a, an ability for us to talk about it actually after that. Have compassion on your parents. Um, but understand this. For a lot of you, there's not a lot you want to say good to your parents, maybe. Like Justin said, I mean, statistically, and I know a lot of you guys in here enough to know that there's a lot of folks in here that there's a lot of really difficult stuff that you've suffered at the hand of parents, without a doubt. And you come to a commandment like this and you go, honor my father and mother. My, my father and mother don't deserve any honor. They deserve honor not because they're perfect people, but because God has put them in authority over you. But that doesn't mean that you turn a blind eye to their sin and to the ways that they've hurt you. And I, I just want to tell you, what Justin said about that hymn has always been a great encouragement to me. That, that Henry Light, who experienced his own father saying, you can't call me father anymore. From now on, you can call me uncle. Sending you off to boarding school, and you'll now call me uncle. Never call me father again. And yet, he still writes these hymns, not just that one, but other hymns, where the father image is a warm, tender image for him. He doesn't just confess it like, well, I know God's our father, so I have to put that in my hymn. No, he revels in it. Father like, he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows. This is, not, this is a guy whose image of what a father is like has been substantially healed by the scriptures. The power of the scriptures to redefine for him what it means to have a father and what a father is like 
is a powerful testimony and a powerful, powerful reminder. Don't limit God in his ability to heal the Father image for you. It doesn't happen automatically. I think it happens through really studying what do the scriptures say about what a father is really like. What is God our perfect parent like? I mean, you could go through, I just did this list quickly. I could have, I could have you know, done a whole page of this, but just listen to this. Just sink this, sink this in. God is the one who is a nurturer. You know, that's not a feminine characteristic, by the way, in the Bible. It's a Christian characteristic. God is a nurturing parent. He's a provider. He's a protector. He teaches us truly. Deuteronomy and Proverbs both show how teaching is central to a parent's role. He loves us. He disciplines us for our good, Hebrews 12 says. He's intimate in his relationship with us. He fights for us. He gives us his name. He gives us his inheritance. He chose us to be his children, knowing full well how wretched and disrespectful we are and would be. You know, this is what your father is like. But how do you get that kind of father? How do you get that kind of father when you don't deserve it? And here's, you know, where's Jesus in this? Where's Jesus in all of this? Here's where Jesus is. Jesus is the one who loved his father, who honored his father, who said it was my meat and drink to do the will of my father. It was his joy. It was what he's made for. It's what he lived for. Jesus is the one who submitted to his father's will even when it meant going to death on a cross. He said, nevertheless, not your will, but my will be done. Jesus took that punishment. Jesus, the one who never disobeyed his father, the one who submitted to his father perfectly, who loved submitting to his father, took on the punishment the punishment deserved by somebody who all their life had spit in their father's face. Jesus, the one who never disobeyed his father, took on the experience of being abandoned by his father, an experience he didn't deserve, but an experience that you and I very much deserve. The only one, the only one who's ever lived who truly deserved his father's smile gave it up so that you would never lose it. It's not enough just to say the Bible, the Bible gives me such a wonderful picture of a father. Oh, if only I could, I could have that. Jesus died to make you sons and daughters of the living God. And he sent the Spirit, Galatians tells us, so that you would feel like a son and a daughter of God. The only one who truly deserved his father's smile gave it up so that you would be welcomed into his family. This wonderful verse in, in Hebrews where it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. And I always read that verse and I go, well, he should be. I sure don't live up to the family name. But Jesus did. And if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, and the Father smiles at you. Like we sang, if by grace in Christ our trust is just to smile and ask no more. All that your disrespect deserves has been paid for. And all of the security you need by being welcomed into your Father's embrace has been secured for you 
because Jesus earned that place. And he can never lose it, and neither can you. Who is this indeed? I mean, think about that. Who is this who's torn apart on a cross? It's the one who perfectly obeyed his father. Why is he being treated like one who disrespected and disobeyed and shamed his father? It's because of his love for us. My friend Scott Rowley likes to say, Jesus proves that the Father, you know, would rather die than live without you. So what will you do to that authority? See, it's a very different kind of authority to submit to an authority of one who's died for you. Because one of the most difficult things in submitting to authority is to wonder, does this person really care for me? Does this person really have my good in mind? That question is settled by the cross, guys. You can trust him. You may not always understand him, but you can trust him. Martin Luther said it well. He said, I know not where he leads, but well do I know my guide. And I'll tell you, the more well you get to know your guide as he's revealed in the scripture, the more well you get to know your father as he's revealed in the scripture, the more apt you are to follow him, submit to his authority, and to honor all those he says you should honor, as difficult as it may be. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that you gave up your father's smile and you didn't have to. We can't even begin to imagine what that was like. Some of us don't even know what it's like to ever have a smile from our parents. At least not the kind of smile that we know um, will last. But Jesus, you knew what it was like. You knew what it was like to please your father to have him say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And you knew what it was like to give that up and to wonder where he was and to suffer all of his wrath falling upon your head. Jesus, how could we not trust you? If you've lived that and died that for us, Lord, how can we not trust you? Would you do battle against our unbelief by opening our eyes to the reality of who you are and what you've done? And what you continue to do, even now, Lord, standing before the Father, pleading your wound so that we will never be cast away. Lord, would the reality of that give us courage, give us humility, help us to live like your people. We pray this in Jesus' name.